Jacob's offering and communion. Uh, you can see the patriotism in this church, but you can more so, you can see the love of Christ. So, it's just so amazing to stand up here in front of you guys. And I hope that I'm able to give you guys some words of encouragement and uh, maybe we'll learn something new today. And so, as we begin, please pray with me. Jesus, Lord, thank you for today and thank you for allowing us all to gather here today safely, peacefully, and under your safe house. Lord, I pray that you just speak through me, that I'm able to deliver the message that you want me to deliver, and uh, just help things to go smoother. Jesus, Lord, amen. So, what is this weekend? It's Memorial Weekend. It's the weekend where we remember all the amazing men and women who gave their lives for us in this great country. <coughs> uh, I want to say thank you to all our veterans and those currently serving, but today is the day that we remember the fallen. We remember the men like Michael Murphy, who was killed in the line of duty after he left his cover position and went to a clearing, exposing himself to enemy fire in order to get a clear signal to contact he their headquarters to request immediate support for his team. Many people today will actually complete and do the Murphy Challenge uh, to honor them. It's a very invasive and physically tedious uh, challenge. I encourage you to look it up, and if you feel like you can accomplish it, go for it. We also remember Travis Atkins, who he when he wrestled a suicide bomber to the ground, using his body to shield the blast from the re for the rest of his patrol. Edward O'Hare, a U.S. Navy fighter pilot, received the Medal of Honor for facing off alone against nine enemy bombers to protect the USS Lexington. His actions to save the ship from serious damage, he later died in action during a mission to intercept Japanese bombing. We also remember the courageous women who heroically gave everything. Captain Mary Klinker was killed when she was temporary, temporary assigned to Clark Air Base in the Philippines. She was on a C-5 Galaxy, which crashed on April 4, 1975, just outside of Saigon, while evacuating Vietnamese orphans. We remember Senior Master Sergeant Sherry Lynn Old. She had been assigned to the U.S. Embassy in East Africa for the last year, and she was killed on August 1998 during the bombing. We remember Fir Sergeant First Class Jeannie Balcombe while on duty on August 21st, 1998, Balcombe's quick thinking and selfless response safeguarded and protected others at the Troop Medical Clinic at Camp Red Cloud, Korea. She placed herself in harm's way between three soldiers and an armed gunman. Now I could stand here and talk all day until I'm out of breath, physically can't speak, my voice is gone, about these amazing men and women that gave their lives. Many of you know them and remember their stories. And I wish we could all stand up here and give the examples of what they shared and what they gave up for us. But what I can tell you is how many people we have lost through our country's history. Starting off with the American Revolutionary War, it's estimated 25,000 lives were lost. The War of 1812, estimated 20,000 lives. During the Mexican-American War, they lost 13,283 people. The American Civil War, when we were fighting ourselves, we lost 620,000 lives. The Spanish-American War, 
2,446. World War I, 116,516 lives. World War II, 405,399. The Korean War, 36,512 lives were lost. The Vietnam War, 58,209 lives. The Gulf War, 258 lives were lost. And the War on Terror, 7,075 lives have been lost. Each one of those lives had an impactful in on this earth, on this country. They left behind their families, their loved ones, the mothers, fathers, kids. And there's so many generations that we lost with these men and women. Now, I gave you the numbers, and I gave you three examples of each man and a woman. But now I'm going to give you two examples of people who gave their lives to Christ. If you will, please turn to 2 Timothy four, chapter 4, verse 6 through 8. This is Paul speaking. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not only me, but also to all who love him in his appearing. These verses make it seem like Paul knows his time's coming to an end. But what else these verses do is they, you can almost hear the peace and the courage that he has going into his final moments. He's able to stand firmly, stand on his ground, and stand on his faith. And he knows that even though it's the death of him, he will be saved and have the blessing and the reward in the, once he's gone, once he's gone. So what did Paul do to deserve his death? He seemed simply preached the love of Christ and lived his life to the fullest as a Christ example. This upset the worldly leaders, being the Pharisees and Emperor Nero at the time. And so much so that Emperor Nero blamed the Christians for the large fire that raged through Rome. And so, because of that fire, he took his vengeance out on Paul and many other Christians. So while Paul would not receive an earthly reward, he did receive his heavenly reward, and it shows us how to stand against discouragement, adversity, and even our death. But if you're like me, maybe you're thinking, well, I'm nothing like Paul. I, ain't gonna, I don't have the strong foundation that he has. I, you know, Paul wrote many of the large portion of the New Testament in many letters, encouraging people more than we ever could like we could be. But that leads us to the first martyr after Christ's death and resurrection. By the man's name is Stephen. If you would, turn to Acts chapter 7, verses 51 through 60. So again, it's Acts chapter 7, verses 51 through 60. And it starts off with Stephen talking to the Jews. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in the heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit, as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those 
who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by direction of angels and have not kept it. So when they had heard these things, they were cut to the heart. They gnashed with him, at him with their teeth, but he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus, standing at the right hand of God, and said, Look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran at him with one accord. They cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their cloths at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on the God, calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. So when I was little, I've heard the story of Stephen, but I never really studied it. And I got this fancy little study Bible that explains things a little easier than what my mind can process. And so I'm going to read just a brief little segment out of it. Stephen was named among the managers of food distribution in the early church. Long before violent persecution broke out against Christians, there was already a social difference. Jews who accepted Jesus as the Messiah were usually cut off from their families. As a result, the, the believers depended on each other for support. The sharing of homes, food, and resources was both a practical and necessary mark of the early church. Eventually, the numbers of believers made, made it necessary to be organized in the sharing. People were being overlooked. There were complaints. And so God chose, through his prof, uh, apostles, chose seven men who were helped uh, organize this, the early church. And they were chosen for their integrity, wisdom, and sensitivity to God. Stephen was one of those seven. So, as far as we, I've explained, Stephen simply gave food out to the poor and the people that needed it. The widows, the orphans, and everybody that was starving. Kicked out from their families. He also was a very well-spoken man. And he would go on and preach at the temples against the Jews and tell them what Christ had did for them. And that's the simple fact that upset the Jews so much that they killed him. He simply distributed food and spoke about Christ, as well as showing the evil of the Jewish leaders what they had committed against Christ. While he was an excellent speaker, he never wavered and only spoke the truth about Christ's sacrifice. And the gift that he gave us while also explaining to the Jews what they messed up on. I encourage you to read Acts chapter 6 and 7 as it gives Stephen's whole sermon when he was talking to the Jews. It's the full context of what made the Jews so upset. And the wisdom that Stephen was able to share for someone who's probably an uneducated man versus the Pharisees who grew up supposed to be the smartest men known at the time. So what was it that was so strong that caused these two men to not waver and to give their lives up until till God? And the answer is a very simple Sunday school answer, the love of Jesus Christ. 
Jesus died for us. And Paul does a good description of it in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 10. So if you would, please turn to Romans chapter 5, verse 6. For when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. For if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. While we were still sinners, these words show us that Jesus came to us and died for us, not because we earned it, not because we're good enough for it, but because he loved us. If you're questioning God's love for yourself, remember that God loves you no matter what. doesn't matter where you are, what you're doing. God will always love you, and there's nothing that will ever change that. On your worst day, he's still there. So just think about how much more he can do for you if you choose to love and accept him as well. That same love that sent Christ to die on the cross is the same love that he sent the Holy Spirit to live inside of us, to help us through our daily walk. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is the same power that is available to you. Christ has already done the hard part. He took up the cross. He died for our sins. We get the easy part. All we have to do is accept it. Accept Christ into our hearts, into our lives, and live and follow his example. Now, I'm not saying that once you accept him, everything's all rosy. Once you do accept him, that's probably when the real work begins. If you turn to me, if you turn to 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19, it gives us a brief description of what we might see as a follower of Christ. And it's suffering for God's glory. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake in Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached and for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemous. But on your part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this manner. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. If it not begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel? Of God. Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinners appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator.
So like every soldier, that when they enlist or swear in, they take an oath to follow order, orders and to defend our country, even if it means giving up their lives. And you, I've listed how many men and women have already done so. In the same manner, when we accept Christ into our life, we are taking that oath that we are to stand firmly on our belief with our faith in Christ, and if asked, to give our lives. And when we face trials and temptations, may we fall back on Christ's love for us so that it only strengthens our faith and not let fear overcome us. Christ lets us, Christ gives us his Holy Spirit and his Holy Spirit will be with us. So as we come now to the end of our little time together, we we remember these men and women, and the best ways we can honor them is to live our lives by making the most of ourselves, so that their sacrifice will not have been in vain. We need to protect our freedom and enjoy the great things that come with it, but we also owe it to the fallen to live our lives to the full extent. They were to live our lives because the lives they were unable to live. Likewise, we must remember the gift of Christ and his own salvation. His sacrifice is the only thing that can save us from our own sin, because under the law, we all fail. So I challenge you to live as Christ-like in your daily walk and be an example of his love, because at the very least, it's what we owe him. And so when trials and tribulation do come our way, may you persevere through them, and become stronger because of it. May we fight the good fight. And if you haven't accepted Christ, you are missing the biggest gift that is offered to you. It's an eternal gift that will be with you forever. But it's a gift that you have to be willing to accept. Christ loves you and is willing. Christ loves you and is waiting for you and will meet you right where you're at. All you must do is turn to him and accept him. Please pray with me. Dear Lord, thank you for, again, allowing us to gather here and uh, just worship you in these in this amazing country that we live in. And Lord, I pray for all the families and everybody that are mourning the ones that they've lost uh, and protecting for us. And all the ones that have struggles and when they get back home, Lord, I just pray that you be with them, comfort them, and uh, just lead them towards you. In your name I pray, amen. I felt like I went slower, but close enough.